I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Chicago officials have reached a $23.8 million settlement with Juul Labs in a lawsuit that alleged the e-cigarette company used deceptive marketing to get teens to start vaping. Juul agreed to pay nearly $3 million in the next month, and the city says it will spend that money on programs to reduce teen smoking. For more on this, let's turn to the city's top doctor, Allison Arwady, commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health. Dr. Arwady, take us back to May of 2020. This is when the city sued Juul Labs. Why did Chicago decide to go after the company? So Juul Labs was the largest manufacturer of these vaping e-cigarette products for use. They only introduced their product in 2015, and by 2019, almost one in four high school students was using this product nationally. And we had seen here in Chicago marketing practices aimed at youth. We had seen flavors aimed at youth. You don't see a lot of adults picking up bubble gum and cotton candy candy flavors, um, and we had seen um, not appropriate age verification requirements around their sales. This is all illegal um, in the city of Chicago. And so um, the law department at the city sued Juul along with some other manufacturers. Um, I was actually part of giving depositions, explaining how we had seen um, this marketing of toward youth really reverse a lot of amazing progress we'd made against cigarettes um, and really just making the case that uh, you you cannot be um, marketing inappropriately toward youth uh, and you need to be following the laws. And so really pleased to see this get settled. It brings some money to the Chicago Department of Public Health for us to work on vaping, which we need to do. We've yeah. seen big increases in kids. To your point, I mean, I remember when vaping products first started to appear on the scene. I feel like this was back in like the mid-2010s and, and vape pens, they were just everywhere at one point. Yep. So I'm I'm not at all surprised that, that Chicago teens got hooked. That's exactly right. I mean, where you look at the amazing progress that we have made against cigarettes, what happened was that the tobacco companies, understandably, were losing their market and they pivoted. And instead of focusing as much on traditional cigarettes, really worked to try to get a new generation, um, frankly, addicted to nicotine. Juul had the highest, much higher nicotine levels than a lot of the other e-cigarette companies. And especially for youth and young adults, um, their brains are still developing and they will get addicted to nicotine. You're basically creating a new generation of consumers. And that has major public health implications, you know, for the long term. Um, And the city of Chicago and the Chicago Department of Public Health have been leading on tobacco work for more than 25 years. This is just the latest front. uh, And we, you know, we have to fight back when we see this kind of marketing that has the ability to affect kids and really cause long-term chronic disease problems. Yeah, let's talk about the the health impact. What kind of uh, impact can prolonged or excessive vaping cause on a person's lungs and health? And, And talk about whether that's different for a young person. 
Yeah. So, um, first of all, at this point, Chicago high school students are 10 times as likely to be using these e-cigarettes, these vaping products, as they are the traditional combustible cigarettes. But we know, first of all, e-cigarettes do have harmful substances in them. A lot of times you don't entirely know what's in them, um, but there can be cancer-causing agents in them. Um, They've been linked to lung injuries. Uh, We had a problem a few years ago where we had not a lot of people, but some young people, even here in Chicago, in the hospital with vaping-related lung injury. Um, Nicotine addiction itself, um, the cycle of nicotine addiction can really worsen symptoms of anxiety and depression in youth. It can harm the developing brain. We've now had some studies that show that e-cigarettes contribute to nicotine use in teens who otherwise would not be tobacco users, meaning we will see some young people sort of start with some of the the vaping products and then transition uh, to the the regular um, e-cigarettes cigarettes. And the final thing is that those pens, those e-cigarette devices, they can be filled with all kinds of things, liquids that contain cannabinoids, synthetic drugs, illicit drugs, and youth don't always know what they are inhaling. Just the device itself, um, we worry, can have some increased risk. So yeah. it's, you know, it's not a field that existed before about 2015. Um, and it just emerged, huge amount of marketing, and it became something um, with a, that a lot of kids, you know, two and a half million um, um, people, young people across the U.S., say, you know, say they're using them now, and we're mm. still really learning. And, um, and doctor, are. there are, there are mental health concerns too, right? There are. There absolutely are. Yeah, we know. You know, it's interesting because people, there's this sense that like, oh, if I smoke or if I use this, this will help me calm myself. But especially in the developing brain, like of adolescents, what we actually see is that when um, children get addicted to nicotine, that worsens anxiety, that worsens depression. And so you can get into this this cycle uh, where the, the, the addiction itself can then and worsen the uh, mental health effects that, you know, people may incorrectly think that they are sort of self-treating by using these products. Yeah. So if you go on Juul's website today, you, you need to confirm that you're older than 21 to get in. And the company markets its product as a, a smoking alternative, saying, quote, the mission of Juul Labs is to transition the world's billion adult smokers away from combustible cigarettes, eliminate their use and combat underage use of our products. Unquote. Are these products any better for you than traditional cigarettes? So I would say that certainly e-cigarettes contain fewer toxic chemicals than the traditional burn cigarettes. So if we actually had really strong evidence that these products were helpful for transitioning adult smokers away, that's something we're still looking at. But I want to be clear um, that that every major U.S. public health authority has not found evidence at this point that e-cigarettes actually help smokers quit. So just to sort of put that aside, uh, that is generally what these companies will lead with. But the problem here is is that who this was marketed to, who has been addicted to these, are children who were not, to be clear, smoking traditional cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Juul has at this point, partly as a result of lawsuits like the one brought by the city of Chicago, Juul has had to clean up its, its act. Um, we saw, you know, here in Chicago, the city council a couple of years ago, we outlawed flavors in vaping products. Um, there are states that have outlawed flavors in all tobacco products, mm-hmm. which we 
you would like to see here long term, um, they have they have frankly been found liable for a lot of the illegal marketing um, that was happening to younger people. Uh, but you know, the, a lot of the damage is done at this point in terms of we have a lot of kids using these products. Right. Um, and it's important um, that CDPH is supporting work with Chicago Public Schools, is supporting work with teachers and parents and students themselves that, we're, that we have some funds to do some of the media campaigns to really, you know, make sure that parents and um, teens themselves understand yeah. some of the risks that they're taking. Yeah, as you, as you mentioned, Jewel pulled its flavor products uh, as part of this reset it was doing back in 2019 because of the fact that they were so popular with kids. And and Chicago banned the sale of those flavor products, also imposed a vaping tax. Have you seen a change in underage vaping in Chicago since then, doctor? Yeah, we've seen some drop since 2019, um, but I want to be clear that sort of if you look over the last five years, we're still up about 56% in terms of our 10th and 12th graders, which are the ages that we're looking at uh, using vaping products. And, and still, you know, even just in Chicago public schools, you know, one in 10 students at this point is reporting, you know, using electronic vapor products now, right, in the last 30 days. We, the health department is focused on the racial life expectancy gap in the city of Chicago. Chicago, mm-hmm. And smoking is about two years of that gap. Um, it really, really makes a difference when we see people who have been addicted to traditional cigarettes, you know, for years and years and years. They have way more problems with lung disease and heart disease and cancer. Um, and our concern is that all of these children now addicted to these cigarettes, right, that's the beginning of potentially moving along that same pathway. That's a huge cost to society, and it's a right. huge cost in terms of individual sickness and, and lives. On Friday, the city announced it had settled a lawsuit with Jewel Labs for nearly $24 million. So, Dr. Dig more into that settlement for us. How is the city going to use the money? Absolutely. So we will definitely be working with uh, the schools, not just Chicago public schools, but all of our middle and high schools uh, to really address youth vaping more. Uh, Chicago public school students actually currently have access to a curriculum that was developed by Respiratory Health Association here in Chicago using some funding that RHA had. But there is a lot of need to build on that uh, to supplement that curriculum, more engagement of students, parents. We need to train teachers and staff. We need protocols for response. We need to make sure that when children um, are using these, we're able to actually, you know, present options, uh, work on education, work on helping them treat what actually is a nicotine addiction at this point. We need to work with healthcare workers, pediatricians and other staff. Got to make sure we're doing good screening for vaping, doing that frontline counseling, having a strategy for referral and education. Uh, We need to work on data enhancement, Um, you know, being able that we have some of the staff here that can follow up uh, in Chicago, but also also in other cities, motivations for youth vaping, what's driving addictions, what what is working in terms of turning this back. We need additional cessation reports. We'll keep working on policy. Um, I think you'll see more media campaigns directed toward a youth and young adult audience. That's been very successful uh, in terms of traditional cigarettes. So th- that's some of what we'll be, we'll be doing with this funding, um, building on the small things we've been able to build without a lot of dedicated funding. This really does give us um, some dollars to work on this directly. And I'll tell you, honestly, chronic disease often doesn't get as much attention and as much funding. So it's really an area that the health department. Mm -hmm. How quickly do you anticipate that the programs funded by this settlement money will actually lead to change in in youth smoking rates in the city? And how are you going to measure the success of that? 
Yeah, so we have a pretty good survey. We do some anonymous surveying um, within schools as part of a, a larger project across the U.S. called the Youth Risk Behavioral uh, Study, and, and we're asking sort of similar questions year after year, uh, and in those are questions about, about, you know, have you used vaping products? You know, what did that look like? And so we have, we have pretty robust ways to follow that, not only here in Chicago, um, but compare that to what's happening across the state and nationally. Um, that's what we use to adjust our tobacco cessation work over the years, knowing what was working. Um, we're able to look within that and know uh, which subgroups, whether that's race, ethnicity, or age, um, or uh, sexual orientation. We see different smoking and vaping rates in those groups, and so we can target you know, some of the work to give more supports in that way. Um, so we'll be following this. Really, every year or two, we'll have additional information, uh, and, and I'm confident that we we are going to work hard to turn this around uh, because we've done it before. It's just a new threat yeah. um, and a new a new funded threat. We'll give some advice for for parents out there. How, how do we have productive conversations with our kids about the harms of vaping and maybe share resources that we can turn yeah. to? Absolutely. So first of all, I think it's important to talk openly with your students. Uh, know that. Across the country, one in four high school age students reports that they're using uh, this product um, or have or have used it recently. And so it's important when you're talking about this uh, to understand that there's a good chance your teen, even if they are reporting that they're not using it themselves, there's a very good chance their friends, their acquaintances, others in school are. And, and it's important, I think, not to just stop the conversation at don't do this. Um, it's important to say, what are you seeing at school? Is this something you've tried? Is this something you've thought about trying? Why do you think uh, kids in your school may be doing this? Um, I think kids often respond well uh, to the idea that they are somehow being duped or sort of caught in, so you want to make sure they have the truth. Um, I think sharing the information that uh, these products have high levels of nicotine, and nicotine is designed to addict you. Like, that is what the nicotine does. Um, And that that can actually worsen anxiety and depression, which is something we've seen a a lot of issues with um, in teens especially right now um, and that and and that you know you care about them you love them um, and you want to make sure you have that open conversation I also would would um, be encouraging them to bring this up with their pediatrician or you can bring it up uh, with the pediatrician okay. um, the respiratory health association has information we have some information on, um, on our website for more resources but I think getting that conversation going in a way that is respectful of the fact that they are dealing with this probably at some level whether mm-hmm or not, you're aware of it. All right. Switching gears for a moment before we wrap up, doctor. A week from today, March 20th, 2023, is going to mark three years since the state of Illinois and Chicago went into lockdown to prevent the spread of COVID-19. I'm curious what's going through your mind this week as you reflect on that milestone. I'm really proud in a lot of ways of the way the city came through this pandemic. We saw a lot of people step up, um, help neighbors reach across uh, what might have been divides, talk openly about equity and that yeah. this pandemic was hitting people differently. Um, and I hope that we kind of hang on to those lessons as we uh, look ahead to whatever comes next. I hope I never have to talk about COVID again. Mm-hmm. I know that's not realistic. Um, 
but there are a lot of other public health issues like vaping that that there has been more time and a lot of indirect effects COVID has had on these other issues right. um, that we're still very much going to be working our way out, uh, you know, for years to come. But uh, CDPH is in it for the fight. And I got to ask you, Dr. Arwady, we're going to have a new mayor in two months. So is it your intention to stay on as the city's top doctor? It is my intention to stay on. Uh, that is, of course, the decision of whomever our next mayor is. Um, but I've been really clear with our staff that uh, my intent is to stay on. And I'm hopeful that whomever becomes mayor recognizes the really strong work that the Chicago Department of Public Health does um, and continues to support uh, and grow that work. Dr. Allison Arwady is Chicago's Public Health Commissioner. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you very much for having me. This episode of The Reset Podcast was produced by Brenda Ruiz and edited by Stephanie Kim and Daniel Tucker. If you like what you're hearing here on the show, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. That helps us reach more listeners just like you. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Let's talk again soon. 